I think I'm I'm pro goose for sure. I think they add a little northern flavor to to our summers. I just can't disagree harder. They're loud. Uh, they're dirty, and they're mean. Generally speaking, I think there's plenty of other birds that provide more utility. All right. Well, we'll just agree to disagree on we'll our we'll water agree to dis- Hey, you know <laughs> that's the beautiful the beautiful thing about America is that you know you're allowed to have your own opinion. I think I could get there, but right now I'm just blind with rage. So I probably maybe should just move on. Anakin, my allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy. The president has a big stick. I promise you. It's all fake news. It's phony stuff. It didn't happen. This is a palatable political podcast presented by Kevin and Mike. Clap for that, you stupid bastard. What's our mission statement? Our mission statement is, you know my allegiance to the republic to democracy (laughs) same anti-sith definitely an anti-sith podcast yeah we agree on that anti-sith anti-spotted lanternfly keep that big time keep that going big time time. anti-spotted lanternfly yeah um, but opposed to that i feel like outside of that open minds you know i'm not against any particular candidate i'm not in support of any particular candidate you know because they're all just the way they are me neither. To me, I think this podcast, just a couple of guys, a couple of friends, just chatting about the state of our country. Politics, the state of our country. And, you know, keeping people informed. Which is important. Well, I think that this... And having, a good, and having a good time while we do it. Can you put into perspective how important this election is relative to our lifetimes? Well, we're both 25. Well, I'm 25. You're 24. I've only voted in two other elections. So in our lifetimes, this isn't, this is really all that we know. But I mean, I, it's got to be really important. I mean, you have two presumptive nominees, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, that are wildly unpopular, right? They have like really big unfavorability ratings. I mean, America is facing a ton of challenges both internally and externally and so this this election is huge i mean whoever whoever we choose kind of sets the tone and i think this is i think this is shaping up to be one of the most interesting elections of of many people's lifetime i think this is going to be i think this is going to be a barn burner yeah that's why i wanted to do this podcast at all is because i feel like this is by far the most interesting election I've been able to participate in. Um, And I think when you look at what's going on with the country as well as the landscape across the world, um, it's definitely the most consequential election that I've seen. And it's going to set up the next, I don't know, probably 10 to 20 years of how America stands in the world and how the world is in terms of climate, all that stuff people get along with one another so i think it's an important election and i want people to i want people to know the nominees i want them to have fair opinions and i want them to make their own decisions yeah so and from the republican side because i mean we are going to be talking about the republican debate um and the candidates that are in the primary from the republican side this primary is really important because it 
I think it really determines the direction of Trumpism. Like, is Trumpism the dogma of the party? Which, I mean, I guess it kind of is. I mean, Trump is such a hold in the party. But is somebody going to come onto the field that brings the Republican Party back to what it was? Is something new entirely going to crop up? So for the Republicans in this Republican debate and in the primary in general, it's, it's really a fight for what it means to be a Republican, what the Republican Party stands for. I mean, that's super interesting. Um, and this debate is kind of the first, the first round of the battle. So it's going to be cool. That's relevant to pretty much like the first talking point I have here, but let's give a little spiel about what's going on. So the first Republican primary debate well, my voice has been cracking like crazy lately, man. I'm going through second puberty. and third. Probably third puberty at this point. Third puberty? That's the best puberty. I'm getting um, there, yeah. That's when you really, um, that's when you really have the glow up, so yeah, I'm you're in my for a stride. treat. <laughs> but the first primary debate is in Milwaukee next week on August 23rd. So far, five candidates are in. Three other candidates have qualified, uh, but they haven't signed the pledge yet. So to qualify for the debate, you need 1% in eligible polls. 40,000 donors, and you have to sign this pledge. So what's up with this pledge, Mike? Um, this is something that the Republican National Committee has done before. We saw it in 2016. There was a huge moment um, in the 2016 debates where, well, every, every candidate signed the pledge for 2016, but there was a moment in the debates where the candidates were asked to reaffirm the pledge and everybody raised their hand except Trump. And it was a huge moment on the debate. So now this requirement for a pledge is kind of being talked about more um and candidates are really considering of whether they're going to sign the pledge or not um so we have some who are going to sign it no matter what Um, i think most are going to be signing it but um we'll see some have hesitations i expect most are going to sign it uh simply because they want to participate in the debate the three who have not yet signed it, who are qualified, are New Jersey, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, former Vice President Mike Pence, and of course Donald Trump. Uh, I expect Christie and Pence to sign it, but there is some hesitations, I suppose. And then the candidates who are in the debate who have signed are North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, and Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a 38-year-old entrepreneur. There's a few other candidates who could still qualify in time, but because they're not at this point, I just haven't included them. But we'll tap back in if, if they get in the mix. And some of them, some of them have like, had some hesitation of signing the debate but I, I, or signing the pledge, but I do think you're totally right. Everybody who's going to be on the debate stage, um, with the exception of Donald Trump, and the larger question is, is he going to be on the debate stage? is most likely going to sign the um is going to sign the pledge um the interesting thing is because i saw something from chris christie um where he said that he is planning to take the pledge just as seriously as donald trump did in 2016 which to me means that he's signing this piece of paper but he's just doing it to get on the debate stage that could be an interesting thing is are we going to have another 2016 moment and are more people going to say that they're not going to support the nominee, whoever they may be. Um, yeah. Could be an interesting debate moment. That wouldn't surprise me from Christie, as he's kind of setting himself up to be the anti Trump. 
So if Trump's sure. the nominee, I wouldn't expect Christie to endorse him. But you never know. You never know. Um, and then, obviously, the elephant in the room is Donald Trump. So even if he participates in the debate, which he hasn't signed yet, so we'll see if he does. But even if he does, he's still facing multiple federal indictments and felony charges. Is there any chance you take a plea deal in Georgia? We did nothing wrong. We don't ever take yes, a plea deal. Yes, sir. We don't take plea deals. It's a wise guy question. Are you just a wise guy? We don't take plea deals because I did nothing wrong. It's called election interference. You know what that is? Because this is, these indictments are brought out by Biden. You can't even put two sentences together. This is Joe Biden because he can't win the election by himself. So, I mean, do you have any outlook on where you think the indictments might go and then how they impact his eligibility as a candidate or even just his viability in the voters' eyes? Well, that's really like the million-dollar question, right? Like, that's, I feel like, what we're all (laughs) trying to figure out. Um, So there's four indictments now, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah, four. It's quite a few. To me, from what I'm seeing, I mean, it seems like people are saying that the Georgia one and the documents case maybe has some teeth. Like, maybe something could happen there. The documents one has some teeth. What about what about his support as these indictments are ongoing? Because it seems like his support just gets stronger the more crime he commits. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely what we've seen. Um, like, every time an indictment is rolling out, it kind of just reinforces... Trump's message that people are out to get him. Um, so every time an indictment has rolled out, it has been like cheering up his support. Um, whether or not like charges are made if he's convicted, um, like if that will have any difference, I don't know. I think it will have a difference politically, um, but it's remain to be seen for sure. Yeah, we'll see. I think definitely if he goes to prison, it's going to change things. But Oh, yeah. And it would not be the first time that a presidential no. candidate has run a campaign from behind uh, prison bars. So Eugene Wait, Debs who? did it in 1920. A socialist wow. candidate. Yep. He was, he, was, he was running for president in 1920. He was kind of like a perennial candidate on the socialist ticket. Um, but he got like... 900,000 votes it was like 6% of the po- 6% of the popular vote. So yeah, mm. not insignificant, but um it would definitely be bars. so it's not unprecedented, but it would be something else for the nominee of a major party to be running for. <laughs> but I think for his viability as a candidate if he ends up being convicted as behind bars and um is the nominee for the Republican party I think you kind of can see one of two things happening. One, what we talked about, kind of galvanizes support around him. Um, the Republican Party sees it as a witch hunt, a political stunt designed to take him down. Um, I think that's probably, from what we're seeing now, probably the most likely. Uh, but the second thing um, is, I mean, there's third parties that are taking a look at running. I mean, no labels is looking at fielding a more centrist candidate. Um, so maybe having a nominee who is um, convicted, if if Trump is convicted, I mean, that might open up a lane for, for no labels. Um, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. It's going to be interesting if it's a convicted Trump on one side and Joe Biden on the other. It definitely opens up some possibilities. If I saw that and I was no labels, I would 
totally see that as my opening. I mean, like, how could you not? It's Yeah, it's, it's an opportunity. But I think the reason a lot of these other Republican candidates are mounting this surge is because there is an opportunity here exactly. to sort of gain control of the Republican Party and then ultimately win the presidency because uh, it should be a pretty open election. Yeah, for sure. So it might not even get to that point. Trump might not even be the nominee. So that's what we'll see. Yeah, Trump might not be the nominee. That's what we'll see on the 23rd. So let's get into that. Let's talk about some of these other nominees. Cool. So the first thing I wanted to ask before we talk about the other nominees, and you mentioned the Trumpism surrounding the Republican Party at this point. Now, how much are all of the Republican candidates pretty much running on the same platform? Are there any outliers here? I think by and large, most of them have a pretty similar platform policy-wise. Um they they tend to focus on separate things, but and I think you kind of find that candidates angling to find their lane based off what they're focusing on. So, for example, you have DeSantis, who's really leaning into um, more of the culture war aspects of it, um, wokeism, stuff like that. Vivek Ramaswamy is doing the same exact thing. Um, so they're kind of really speaking to the base with some red meat culture war issues. Um, you have Nikki Haley. She's really making a pitch based off of her credentials as the former United Nations ambassador. Um, she's really leaning into foreign policy, which is really interesting. I think she has a, a really cool story because her, her husband is currently deployed overseas um, as a member of the South Carolina National Guard. So, so that could be really interesting. Um, Mike Pence is really leaning into conservative Christians, evangelical voters, that could be his lane. He's really leaning into that stuff. And then, of course, you have the big outlier, which is Chris Christie, um, who's really leaning into towards attacking Trump. Um, He is going at him for full force. He's going to be a bulldog on the stage, that's for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. And what we're hoping to display here is sort of that, you know, a lot of these candidates run upon the they run with the same policies um they're running with all a lot of the same messages but it's sort of what they're pushing to the public what they're putting out there and when gives sort of a reflection on you know how their campaign's doing so i think it's interesting to just keep track of what they're talking about and why they're talking about it so on the debate stage i expect it to be organized by polling numbers so the polls that I was looking at when I compiled this was from 538. Just it, It's an aggregate of all the polls, whatever they give me. So leading in the Republican polls behind Donald Trump, obviously, is Ron DeSantis. He's polling at 14.8%. Uh, the campaign started a long time ago for DeSantis. Well, it feels like it started a long time ago, but actually he was just on a book tour for like forever, uh, going around the country, essentially campaigning. He visited Ukraine. <laughs> on his book tour, which was relevant. Um, And then eventually he declared that he was actually running for president, even though we pretty much all knew it. Um, Mm -hmm. A year ago, he was pretty hot name. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, he was definitely a rising star. Um, He earned a lot of praise coming off COVID-19. And then uh, it seems like recently he caught some slander from the conservative critics. Would that be accurate? Well, it depends. I mean, he's he's really he's really leaned into the culture war aspects of it, which some people love. Um, but for I would say your more establishment, maybe traditional conservatives, he has faced some 
whack for going after Disney and for really leaning into the culture wars. Um, so yeah, I, I guess it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. Um, I think his campaign is mainly like sputtering a bit because Santos isn't the most personable guy from what I've heard and seen. He's kind of a weird dude. Um, but weird dudes get elected all the time. So it, he, he seems whip smart, um, which obviously on the debate stage can't hurt him. Um, yeah, he is whip smart. Yeah. 99th percentile SAT. Oh, really? That's cra- That's crazy. Yeah, apparently that's 99th that's percentile saying. SAT. He went to Yale. So he is definitely smart yeah. and he knows his stuff. And I think if you watch him really chop it up about policy, you can tell that. But if you see the clips going around Twitter, it definitely makes him look kind of like a weird guy. He's got strange facial reactions, that kind of thing. Exactly. Um, and I don't know, maybe on the campaign trail and on in states like Iowa and New Hampshire that are so retail politic heavy. Um, I mean, we saw that at the Iowa State Fair. It can't help him that he is the way that he is. Um, but on a on a on a place like the debate stage where policy is supposed to shine this could be his moment to to burst out definitely he could set himself apart in terms of his campaign itself it's definitely sputtered recently he's down in the polls from where he was but he sort of did this uh revitalization a few weeks ago he's going to more of a grassroots effort which involves busing himself his wife and his three children to all 99 counties in the state of iowa so they're all over the place. He's playing up the kids' angle. I've got a great soundbite about his kids in the White House. The good thing about us is, you know, my kids are six, five, and three, so they ain't going to be bringing any cocaine into the White House when I'm president. But he's cleaned it up recently. He's hitting on the hot topics. I feel like he was yeah. in Iowa. He was really playing up the Bidenomics, which is, I think, what the Iowans are looking to hear. And I think that's kind of the angle that DeSantis is playing. Is he's... Um, Offering a more palatable version of Trumpism, maybe like offering this us against them mentality via these culture war arguments, um, but it doesn't really include the baggage that Trump includes. So it could be in his best interest to not criticize Trump because he's that's not the message that he's trying to convey. He's basically saying, if, if you like Trump, I like Trump, blah, 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 blah. Just I'm a safer bet to win a general election. What do you say to him being a safer bet to win a general election? Yes, but once in office being potentially more dangerous than Trump because he is a politician. He has the experience doing that that Trump didn't really have. Possibly, um, but I mean what many people would consider him being more dangerous probably is music to the ears of conservatives right like he's he would be doing the things that he wants them to that they want him to do so um that could be a good argument for him is that he without this baggage will be able to be a more effective executive so yeah it'll be interesting to see where ron's campaign goes because it's really seems like either all the way up or all the way down from here i i really think this debate is going to be huge for him i think if he can connect with people on this debate stage i think he has a chance but if he can't i don't i think if he can't perform and he is still getting the coverage that he's getting and is maybe not able to turn things around in iowa you could see an early exit it maybe i mean he's still 
polling in second place. I mean, it's still early, but um, he might not be able to get the traction that he needs to get. So, yeah, you really got to start making moves. Um, all right, let's move on. So, polling number two should be next to Big Ron on the debate stage is Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a businessman, not a politician. Uh, he's been telling people, I believe it's true, that he's the youngest GOP candidate to ever run he's 39 right that's cool yeah i didn't know that that's what he's been telling people um that's what he's saying there's a great video of him rapping eminem to I've a bunch of that. iowans yeah loud he opens his mouth but the words won't come out he's joking how everybody's joking now the clocks run out time's up over plow snap back to reality oh there goes gravity oh there goes gravity choke he's so mad but he won't yeah, actually, I heard I was like love Eminem, so yeah, that's huge. For he's him like there. he's top of the charts in Iowa every single Eminem's year. Eminem's Iowa so country, definitely the move. Yeah, net worth estimated six hundred thirty million. So Vivek's doing something right for himself privately. He was getting after it early, campaign wise, boots on the ground. He was all over the place in Iowa and New Hampshire. Seems like it paid off because he's picking up some traction now. Uh, and then he sort of got into the political game with a book he wrote called Woke Inc. Inside Corporate America's Social Justice Scam, which was a sort of warning about liberal politics making their way into business practices, cutting back on government regulations, that kind of thing. And then he was all over the talk shows. Yeah, and then you mentioned much of his messaging is similar to Ron, sort of culture war, hard stances on LGBTQ+. Plus, uh, is that just what appeals to people? I think the culture wars appeal then because they they don't want somebody to go to the White House and compromise on a bunch of things. Um, I think they want somebody who can go to the White House and deliver for them. Um, and I think focusing on these culture war issues, I think is the easiest way to get people like a little route up, if that makes sense. Um, that's just that's just how I see it, but. I mean, this could be, I guess people just really care about these issues. So, and we saw, we, I mean, this isn't a new phenomenon, right? Like we saw this in 2021 state, elect, like local elections. I mean, you saw this in school boards focusing on these issues. Um, same thing in the 2022 uh, midterm elections. That's what Republicans were campaigning on and they won the majority. Um by a smaller margin than they expected, but a majority nonetheless. I mean, Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, he campaigned on these culture war issues and he became a Republican governor of a blue state. So um, it, it could be a very effective message for Republican politicians to, to focus on this. Yeah, I think it's proven to be an effective message. It's... yeah. I think not one of the primary issues. We'll get to that when we get to Chris Christie because he's pointed it out. But I think the culture wars are a little bit distracting, in my opinion, from what's actually going on. But I think what Ramaswamy's hitting on that has resonated with people is he's really campaigning about this concept of speaking the truth and the importance of saying what you want to say. And I think that really is appealing to these Republicans because they feel like they just can't say what they want to say anymore. Sometimes for good reason, you can't say the things you used to be able to say, but they're all uptight about it. So I think if you appeal to that, 
he's appealing to well i have a good sound bite that explains it actually better than i ever could so i'll just roll the sound bite And what I think is interesting about Vivek is, like you said, he's trying to, he's kind of doing the same game as DeSantis, right? Like, he's not really attacking Trump. He's leaning on these culture war things. But he seems to be a lot more effective at it. Like, he is a very effective communicator. And his campaign has been super interesting because he basically is not spending a lot of money on, like, TV advertisements. Like, he's not hitting the airwaves. But he's getting a ton of free ads essentially free coverage because he is taking like any and all media hits that he can like he is everywhere um which is really interesting for a candidate to do like he is not afraid to speak to anyone about his opinions and and kind of put himself in the spotlight which is refreshing um to have somebody and i i think that's what's really this is what's really appealing about him is like he he's not only like fighting the fight with the culture wars but he's like doing it every like all the time everywhere yeah and is like effective about it i it, i think yeah it seems like he's got his messages down um he's not afraid to say them wherever and whenever he wants to yeah uh, which i think is huge for him in the debate because he's clearly a great communicator so this debate might be huge for him because he is this is the largest platform he's had right to 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 say his message which is a message that seems to be doing pretty well so i saw this really interesting article on politico about ramaswamy's polling um and like the aggregate that you have is really a mix between um telephone polling and internet polling and internet polling Ramaswamy is like killing it like he's polling at like 14 15 percent but um for telephone polling he's polling at like two to three percent one of the possible explanations for it is that he is really appeals to younger voters and he's using media methods that kind of outreach to to younger voters um and so this debate could be big for him because it could be a chance for him to connect to a more like traditional voter base, an older voter base um, that he hasn't connected to. So he's definitely launched the campaign trying to set himself apart as like, I'm the only millennial candidate. I'm the youngest candidate. So that's definitely an aspect for him. And if he can gain some more mainstream traction, then I think you could see the two kind of combine. Yeah, I mean, and it's a really interesting contrast in a campaign where the two presumptive nominees are Joe Biden, who's super old, he's like 80 years old, and Trump, who's not far behind him. Yeah, so he's quite old. It, yeah, it's a super interesting contrast. And I think voters could be hungry for that, a, a new generation to kind of take up the mantle. I mean... You saw the McConnell thing? You saw what's going on with... <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I saw the McConnell thing. It's not funny. Yeah. The subsequent you saw the McConnell TikToks. Thing. You saw the Feinstein thing. 
I don't know. The one more thing I wanted to touch on with the Ramaswamy is um, his foreign policy has gotten some pushback because uh, he's emphasized the importance of a peace treaty with Russia to end that war. Yeah. And then he also said in regards to the Taiwan-China thing, you want to stop China from invading Taiwan, you put a gun in every Chinese, or Taiwanese household. Uh, he said that in an NRA speech. So obviously he was playing to his audience, but it's quite a thing to say. Yeah, I mean, we kind of were pumping cash in for them to buy arms. So we kind of we kind of are, but not in every household. That's a bit of the extension of current U.S. foreign policy. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. He has been facing pushback. Like on Ukraine, he is not really for... Um, aiding the ukrainians he's not a forceful ally like you said he's all for making peace with with putin he's made some comments about nato expansion and stuff so um he has he has faced some pushback for that so it'd be interesting if he um if there is a foreign policy section of the debate which there usually is how he responds to those questions yeah and he could see some success there because there are some republican voters who think we should have nothing to do with ukraine Exactly. Um, yeah, it could be successful for him. All right, the next candidate in terms of polling numbers is our former Vice President Mike Pence, who you mentioned is likely to lean on his faith, garnering the evangelical vote. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him go all-in anti-abortion. Uh, yeah, he's really going to try to garner that vote. What, how important is that vote, would you say? It's pretty important, It's pretty, and especially in Iowa... Um, I mean, remember Rick Santorum won Iowa in 2012. Um, Ted Cruz won it in 2016. Those are both candidates that really played up the evangelical support. So that could be, and I'm sure Mike Pence is thinking this, that could be his ticket to victory in Iowa, um, which could jumpstart his campaign. So um, it, it, it could be a fruitful... A, a, a fruitful line of attack for him is arguing that he is is the evangelical and the Christian socially conservative candidate that's up on stage. The other thing Pence is sort of locked in on to me from watching these speeches is going after Joe Biden, which is obviously popular, uh, both at home and abroad, specifically talking about Afghanistan, talking about foreign adversaries, um, appearing weak internationally. Uh, he's sort of locked in on that. Mm -hmm. and then, But I think the real thing standing in his way to being a candidate is obviously his dynamic with Trump and the election fraud, all of that. So what would you say the outlook is on Pence coming off all this Trump stuff? Because he's sort of maintained the position that he upheld the Constitution, he did his duty, which it seems like as the... I don't know, as the indictments are revealed more and more, it's looking that way. Uh, yeah, and it could be interesting. He could be a star witness in one of the indictments against Trump. Like, he, it could very much be... Um, it, it could very much be a factor that two candidates are... One is a witness against the other. So that would be really interesting. Um, has that happened before? I don't think so. I don't know if, like, Teddy or if, like, Warren G. Harding was, like, a witness for Eugene Debs. I don't think so. But 
you know, I doubt it. we're always down to make history here in America. So wouldn't be wouldn't be the best history to watch, but for one thing, it would be entertaining probably. Uh, but to answer your question of where Pence pivots from this, can he kind of get out from under this whole Trump question? Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't think he can. Um, I give him props for really sticking to his guns. He, unlike a lot of other candidates, is act, is forcefully criticizing Trump on this on this point. Um, a lot of other Republicans do not want to relitigate 2022. I'm sorry, 2020. Um, they want to lead January 6 in the rearview mirror. Um, they don't see it as a winner for them. Um, but Pence is really making the case partially because he really has to. The base of the Republican Party, there, there's a certain percentage of the Republican Party that sees Trump as a traitor. I'm sorry, Pence as a traitor. Yikes. Um, they see Pence as a traitor for not overturning the election. Um, and he has to win over those voters and he has to convince them otherwise. Um, will he be successful in it? He hasn't so far. I don't see him being uber yeah. successful in it. Um, yeah, I feel like that gap yeah. is too broad to cross between. Exactly. Even in terms of just the Trump supporters. Some other candidate could win over a lot of the Trump supporters, but Pence sort of has a residual stink about him. I think from both sides where it's like... Pence really faces the problem, and he has just from the beginning, is he's a little too anti-Trump for the Trump portion of the party, and then a little too pro-Trump for the anti-Trump portion of the party. So he kind of doesn't really have a home. Maybe his home is the evangelical voters, um, they're able to swallow the rest of what comes with Mike Pence. Um, who knows? Uh, but I, it, it's going to be, it's going to be tough for Mike Pence, but I, on this debate stage, I do see him leading into the socially conservative issues, um, ahead of Iowa. And I do see him maybe attacking Trump, maybe talking and bringing up the 2020 election, maybe forcing the rest of the candidates who aren't really talking about it to, to talk about the the to January 6th and Trump's election fraud claim. So maybe he's an important presence on the debate. Yeah, I think we should talk about it. It's probably important to talk about. So it's been disappointing to see some of these candidates pretty much refuse to talk about it. Um, exactly, but it's, I mean, it's a political it's a political tactic. All of these yeah. candidates are in it to win it. Um, I think, yeah. If they don't think they're going to, if they don't think the Republican primary voters want to talk about it, um, I don't see them doing it, but I think it's kind of unavoidable, especially with the indictments. I mean, I think it's it's coming down the tube. It definitely is. But it's important to note along those lines that, you know, everything that comes out of these people's mouths is all political positioning. So Exactly. Speaking of Nikki Haley, she's next on our list, polling at 4.2%. But she has been towing the line on Trump, as you mentioned she was recently called out by Chris Christie for it. He was like, you should talk about it, Nikki. And Nikki's response was that she's not obsessively anti-Trump like Chris, and she talks about policies. So what are some of Nikki's policies, Michael? So we brought up, um, we brought up her leaning in on foreign policy. Um, she's a former United Nations ambassador, um, so she 
um, has leaned to that. As I said, her husband is currently deployed, so she has been talking about Ukraine, about China, especially, um, and Russia. So um, she really is leaning to that policy aspect of her um, as something that can maybe set her apart. Um, she's also talking about the economy. Um, she was the governor of South Carolina. South Carolina's economy, I think, grew under her governorship. Um, she's a former accountant also, so she's talking about balanced budgets, um, growing the economy, kind of all your standard Republican talking points. Um, but she, yeah, she is focusing on on those more traditional Republican policy st- standpoints, but she's also talking about um, a touch of culture war issues. Um, she's the only woman in the race in the Republican primary. So she could be uniquely positioned to talk about issues like trans athletes, which has been a huge talking point in Republican circles. So um, maybe she'll lean more into it. She's talked about it in the past, so we'll see. Yeah. She's definitely not been like over the top on the culture wars thing, but the trans athletes thing is the one thing that she touches on and talks about. Exactly. She does, She yeah, she has talked about that. Um, she talks a lot about her her story, right? She has a really interesting story. I think it's um, probably her strongest aspect in what made her a rising star in the party to begin with. Daughter of Indian immigrants, grew up in, I think it's called Bamberg, Bamberg, something like that, South Carolina. Um, in a town of of white people and black people and as an Indian she really did not fit in in either of those categories um and she was elected governor of South Carolina as a Tea Party candidate defeating all the odds no one expected her really to win um so she she has an interesting political story and I I have heard from people that she's really good on the trail like you walk away from her events feeling feeling good, so um, she could be she could be leaning to that um, on the on the debate stage because um, she does have a compelling story. She definitely does. I think her experience speaks for itself, being a governor and a UN ambassador, so that's relevant. Yeah. And then the polling isn't too hot right now, but apparently, if you look at the fundraising, it's going pretty well. She raised seven point three million through her campaign and affiliated committees from April to June is something I read, which is a pretty good number. She is more of, I don't want to say establishment, but she is more of a traditional type of Republican that um, tends to get higher support from, from DC crowds and from bigger donors. So a good, this debate's important for her, a, a good performance on the debate stage Increased poll numbers um, can maybe lead to more cash in her pocket um, and continue what has been a strength of her campaign. So uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how she how she performs on the stage. But I I think um, she she needs a good one to to get some more money in the bank. Mm-hmm. Flying under the radar a little bit, but maybe you can get something going on. Exactly. Yeah, you don't really see a ton from her on from traditional media markets like. Uh, at least I haven't, but I mean, Iowa and New Hampshire are, like I said, classic retail politics areas. Um, 
they the voters reward being on the ground and and kind of hitting the stump speeches and from what i've seen from accounts it seems like nikki haley is pretty good at that so maybe she's kind of playing the long game and putting in her time in iowa with the iowa voters and maybe they'll reward her so yeah she was chopping it up at the uh iowa state fair over the weekend for sure she was in the uh in the pig pens oh, with yeah. Kim Reynolds. They love it. Getting all the picks down. Right, and that's another thing with Kim Reynolds. Um, Trump has been super critical of Kim Reynolds, Iowa governor. Super critical. Yeah. And the Iowa people love Kim Reynolds. They love Kim. But do they love Trump more? That's the question. That is the question. But I was yeah. reading something about how an interesting domino to fall is like wherever Kim Reynolds throws her support is going to be a really big deal. But she's kind of yet to put that behind anybody. Exactly. So we'll see. Exactly. She she was chopping it up it at the Iowa like, State Fair. Uh, you're you're right. She, I feel like Nikki Haley. Yeah, as was Ron. Ron was flipping yeah, they, pork they chops. All were there. They, yeah, they all were. They um, were all there. Yeah. I edited like a thirty minute feed of DeSantis just playing carnival games. It was awesome. <laughs> how was how was he? He was really good at bumper cars. Destroyed his wife. Absolutely obliterated. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Come on, Casey. Terrible at the uh, ball in the jug game though. So, uh, okay, those are rigged though. So yeah, those are rigged. Much so. like this election, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> a man who doesn't think the election was rigged is Governor Chris Christie of the state of New Jersey, famous for yeah, yeah. The I'm bridge actually debacle. sitting in. I'm sitting in the great state of New Jersey as we speak. Oh, yeah. Particularly fact, relevant God's to your country. heart. Then particularly relevant to your heart for sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Christie's running. It seems to me like the most unique campaign out of these candidates um yeah he was really under the radar and then like two weeks ago he went to ukraine without telling anybody he just kind of showed up in ukraine mm. met with uh, Zelensky, and then he came back pulled up in new hampshire and just started absolutely chopping trump up uh started a real back and forth which was interesting trump went at christie christie went at trump and he's started polling much better in New Hampshire. He actually just passed DeSantis in New Hampshire, which is interesting. Oh, cool. I didn't, so he's second, he's second in New Hampshire now? Yeah, Christie's actually second oh, in New Hampshire now. Oh, I did not now. see that. But cool. he's pretty much entirely ignored Iowa. He's not been in Iowa at all. Yeah. Um, so Christie is doing, putting all of his eggs in the New Hampshire basket, betting that the more moderate electorate of New Hampshire will reward his politics more than Iowa. So he is really sinking his resources in New Hampshire. This is a strategy that Christie used in 2016 also. Um, and when Christie placed, I think, fourth place. No, actually, I think it was worse than that. It may have been fifth or sixth place. Anyway, Christie, the strategy not pay off for Christie and and that yeah that's why he dropped out um so it'll be interesting to see if the strategy works out for Christie it seems like with the polling it may be working out this time um but I've seen interviews from Christie where he says he doesn't think that that strategy was necessarily a loser like he just thinks he didn't hit on the right messages um, and obviously he doesn't think it's a loser because he's doing it again. So um, the real test for Chris Christie is going to be New Hampshire. Yeah, I think that's probably based off of what he... Yeah, he came in sixth. He got, he got, he got 7. sixth 2. in New Hampshire. 
last time? In 2016, yeah. It was Trump at 35, John Kasich at 15, which I don't remember him coming in second New Hampshire. Cruz at 11%, um, Jeb Bush at 10 and Marco Rubio at 10 and Chris Christie at 7.38%. Right. Well, interesting that he's just trying the like, same strategy again when he came in sixth. But... I mean, if you remember, Christie was kind of in the 2016 field in that like Marco Rubio jeb bush sort of lane where they thought that they all had to compete of who would be like the establishment standard bearer and then take on trump christie's not doing that now he's going right at trump i think that's the difference is, is he's trying to take on trump now he's not waiting to be the alternative candidate to trump so on the debate stage like you said we will see him being just an absolute bulldog on the stage just going after trump Mm -hmm. and possibly other candidates well historically historically he's been quite formidable on the debate stage. yeah he sank marco rubio's campaign which was tough for me to swallow because as you remember i played marco (laughs) rubio in a high school debate (laughs) i remember yeah it's quite a performance it was a great performance i thought i think i maybe took it a little too seriously probably but i gave it my all i think your answers were more realistic than any of the other ones, and but that's not that was that's not, not what the, the people proper wanted. thing. Yep, it's not, not what the, the proper thing wanted. for a high school debate. Yeah. yeah, it was not. Yeah, and I don't know who won he, that debate. Rob Palermo, who played Trump, of course he but won. He, was, it was Trump. he, he yeah, just it was did Trump. a Trump impression, and it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I played Marco Rubio, does. and he dropped out of the election that very night that I played him. Yeah. So that's that. that was a hard pill to swallow. So thanks, Chris Christie. You you uh you ruined my time as well, Marco Rubio. Yeah. Chris Christie ruins Mike's life. Um Trump called him a, a fat, fat pig. Yes. Which isn't you know, I'm gonna play the sound. Well he didn't call him a fat pig. No 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 don't he, he said don't <laughs> he said don't call don't him. call him a fat pig. What um, what kind of problems could Christie run into by running such an anti-Trump campaign? Is that the reason why he's avoiding Iowa? Like, it just wouldn't play as well there? I think the Iowa voters are maybe more conservative than the New Hampshire voters. So Chris Christie is angling that they maybe will be less receptive to an anti-Trump candidate. Um, so he's taking it to the more moderate battleground um the downside is if there isn't an appetite for that um i think you kind of see really three lanes in this primary you have the trump lane then i think you kind of have like the trump light like the desantis or the vivek ramaswamy who kind of have the trappings of a trump but none of the baggage um and i you could even put like maybe Nikki Haley in that camp like she she's not really attacking I don't know that's kind of like a broad group and then you have the anti-Trump lane um so I think Christie runs into the wall if there just isn't an appetite for somebody who is so critical of Trump 
Um, but I do think Christie has a really interesting story as the first candidate to drop out of the race in 2016 and endorse Trump. Like, he was part of Trump's inner circle. Trump considered him for attorney general um, and chief of staff, I believe. And he was on the Trump train, sort of speak. So he's not like never Trump because he was on, he, he did endorse Trump. Um, but he has kind of really come to terms with his support to Trump after January 6th. Like that was the last straw for him. So if this election becomes about 2020, and election fraud and um, January 6th, Christie may be a really interesting candidate up on the stage of somebody who is going to be playing the other side. I mean, Christie was a former, um, he is a former federal prosecutor um, in New Jersey. So he is no stranger to to uh, asking the tough questions and and completely grilling people. So Chris, Chrissy, I think, is going to be maybe one of the more entertaining people to watch mm-hmm. on the debate. I think he's going to be very entertaining to watch. He definitely seems like he's ready to get in there and chop it up. The one thing he's like spoken about that I haven't heard anybody else really say is that he's asking the question of, like, Donald Trump, a man who was paying off a porn star to cover up their affair during the last election, Mm. a man who is under indictment for trying to, I don't know, overthrow democracy, my allegiance is to democracy. But Christie, he's pointing out, like, is this really the guy we want to be president? Is he morally the person that we want in the Oval Office? Does he have the same morals as, say, George Washington, who chopped down a cherry tree and then fessed up to it. I think that's, uh, Donald I think Trump that's a myth. Donald has but... never committed a crime in his life. It is. It's certainly a, a folk tale. But, you know. <laughs> but a, a one that's that like shows... the foundation yeah. of the presidency. No, you're right. You're, you're totally right. Um, he has been making that case. And he... Yes, he's been attacking Trump. But he's also been buying into like the idea that some of these indictments are politically driven... Um, and he's been being quite candid with it. And he said, like, this, the indictment in New York, for example, um, he said, is this politically driven? Most likely, yes. He said he thinks that they are. Um, but it still begs the question, is this character befit of somebody that we want to be the president of the United States? Um, is this who we want representing the party? Um, that may be a tough sell for Christie to Republican primary voters who knew all of this in 2016 for the most part. And with the exception of the election stuff, um, but knew Trump's character, um, going into it and still voted for him anyways. So it could be a tough sell for Christie for Christie, but he is, he is the one candidate who is making that debate. Yeah, he did actually call out the latest Georgia indictment. He said it's unnecessary. Uh, he thought it was already covered in the federal indictment for January 6th. Okay. Um, not January 6th for election fraud. But he said it was already covered in one yeah. of the federal ones. Um, yeah, I don't know. Christie's just interesting to me because he makes the moral point. Um, 
And to me, it's just like, where did the uh, morality of this office go? How is it so irrelevant what kind of character we're election? Like, people just don't yeah. care at this point? It blows my mind, but it is what it is. That's, that's all I have to say about that. We can move on to Tim Scott. Uh, well, yeah, the last one that I wrote down, well, I have Burgum too, but you saw my note on Burgum. <laughs> we'll get to Burgum. Yeah, for everyone, Kevin's note is... Doug Burgum, 0.7%. I'm too tired right now. I was Doug. doing it very late at night, so I did intend to get back. You were doing it. You were, you were cooking. I did add a note. Um, yeah. I guess we could, I guess we we'll could do, do Doug Burgum, Burgum Let's just right do Burgum now. now. Just yeah. real quick. Let's just do Burgum now really quickly. Um, Doug Burgum got um, on the debate stage and made headlines for offering $20 gift cards for people who donated to his campaign. Um, another candidate, Francis Suarez, um, the mayor of Miami, Not Miami Dade. is also just Miami. So there's a difference here, which confused me. Just Miami, yeah, yeah, not Miami Dade County. Um, he's the mayor of Miami, though. He's also doing that, and Doug Bergen just says, "Hey, listen, it's good business. That's what you got to do." And he's he's up on the stage. So we didn't get to Tim Scott, so let's talk about Tim Scott. He's the senator from South Carolina. He dismissed the Trump indictment, the newest one, as un-American. So definitely he's taken that stance on it, that they shouldn't be persecuting Trump. Uh, But it seems like Scott's having some success appealing to Iowans, sort of just playing into the Kim Reynolds thing. Uh, Whatever she's doing, he's kind of echoing, which is appealing to the Iowans because they all really like Kim Reynolds. So his economic approach is focused on you know protecting the farmers protecting the manufacturers close the border school choice k through 12 respect the police that's sort of his platform but i think that mirrors most of like the mainstream republican stances yeah one thing i read is that he's got a little bit more of a positive campaign message compared to some people it's not all doom and gloom you know america's a cooked country we got to ramaswamy in particular his message is like we don't need to go step by step. We need a full revolution. Uh, apparently, Scott's not really pushing that message, which evidently has been refreshing for some people, which isn't surprising to me. Uh, I think, yeah, definitely just like a person to keep your eye on. Not polling well right now like Nikki Haley, but could pick up some momentum quick. One of the three minority candidates, Haley, Ramaswamy, Scott, we'll see. Keep an eye on Tim Scott. So that's all of our candidates on the debate stage. We've gotten through it all in our, our first go at it, which is pretty good. We took three Zoom meetings. Uh, I'm pretty yeah. happy. If you want to come on, <laughs> we, we're talking about Donald a lot. But you can't talk about the Republicans without talking about Donald Trump because he had a vice grip on the party for a long time, and it's time for them to possibly break out from that grip or possibly put themselves right back into the middle of the palm of his hand. Best Onion headline. I'll do a bit of a news reading here. Uh, So The Onion's a fictional website. Obviously, this is not a real headline, but they like to write about the candidates. Ron DeSantis booed off stage after flashing his stomach. Several reports indicated that DeSantis stopped speaking mid-sentence at the campaign event to lift his shirt into the air, silently exposing the entirety of his plump abdomen to the crowd of Republican voters, who immediately began heckling the candidate. According to eyewitness accounts, the Florida governor attempted to regain control of the room by giving his stomach a single, enthusiastic slap, which only further provoked the furious crowd to take off their own shirts, 
ball up the garments and pelt the candidate, screaming, cover up, freak, and we want Trump's tummy. At press time, the DeSantis campaign had issued a statement clarifying the candidate was trying to communicate that he was hungry to end wokeness. Thank you, Ron. All right, thanks for tuning in to this first episode of Kevin and Mike's Little Cheeky Podcast. We are obviously going to watch the debate coming up in a few weeks. I recommend that you do as well. We will keep you in the loop on our reactions to that, any sort of fallout within the party. So keep coming back for more. No sort of posting schedule yet, but, you know, hopefully at least once a month leading up to the election a year from now, you know? All right.